Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Montel Hardy of NGSCSports.com and the Cold Front. You're listening to the Earnestly Speaking Podcast. This is Andy Carlson of the Dad Mode Podcast, Common Parenting in a Politically Correct World, and you are listening to the Earnestly Speaking Podcast. Get some. Hey, this is Jameson Welsh from BelieveTheHypeNBA.com, and you're listening to the Earnestly Speaking Podcast on... Hi, this is Jeffrey Panashka from Amazing Avenue, and you're listening to the Earnestly Speaking Podcast. Y'all really enjoying the preseason of NFL football. I mean, y'all just happy to have any kind of football at this point right now. You know what I'm saying? It, I mean, look, it's okay. Show of hands. Who here is happy that the NFL, no matter what it is, even though those games don't count, that the preseason is back? Show of hands. Come on, slowly. It's all right. That's everybody, right? That's everybody. Because... <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm probably, I'm, well, I'm probably in a very small minority in this, but I've been, over the course of the last couple of days, expressing my opinion on preseason football. Uh, Yeah, I can't stand it. And I'm probably talking about, about the reasons why I can't stand it going forward the next couple of weeks. Because maybe on the radio show, too, I'll do it on Thursdays. But I can't stand it. And, and, and there's no, and really, there. There's no logical reason why I can't stand preseason football, okay? You know, I've had arguments with people, you know, look, I'm not going to defend my position. There's nothing to defend. I just don't like it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's what I call fake football. And it, it gets kind of unnerving when, when people in the media, you know, who I'm friends with, who I, who I respect greatly for the job they do covering the sport, whether we be beat writers or be uh, uh, guys who do radio shows, podcasts, any, um, anything they do involving the media to get the voice out, to get to get the word out, I respect that. <laughs> Look, I, if we all thought the same, this we this would be boring. But the fact of the matter is, I just don't like preseason football, and and, and I don't have a. I'm not going to give you a, a, a you know a tangible reason why. Oh, logical reason why? Because why? What's the point? It's just an opinion. It's just a hot take. Whatever. Take it or leave it. You know? But I will say this, though. In the case of what's the hottest take right now in the preseason, RG3, Washington Redskins quarterback, entering his fourth year. Look. And yes, I, it just may sound a little hypocritical right now because we haven't even played a minute of football yet, 
of Real Football, which is uh, September 13th, by the way, guys. The first Sunday of the uh, season. But I don't know if... if to, the, to, the, to the millions and millions of people who actually watched Thursday, Browns, Redskins, week two of the preseason, <laughs> and saw RG3's performance, and saw what transpired... I'm not, I don't want to jump the gun here just yet because it's too soon. But given what we've gone through the last three years, RG3, from, from the epic rise of his rookie year, you know, you can argue, and, and this, this could be fact because people, have, are people of, of relevance, people who actually know something about the sport, actually say so, that RG3's first year, his rookie year, might be the greatest rookie season Anybody in the sports history has ever had. So you take that. You take that sample of the first year. And take the next two years preceding that. Into what we have now. And then what we saw. Did what, well not what I saw. But what you guys saw. But what I saw on TV. After the fact. In hindsight. Man. It is time for a change of scenery for RG3 man. Robert Griffin needs to go somewhere else. Because. I truly believe, I truly believe RG3 is set to fail in Washington, D.C. The Washington Redskins have been an unstable organization for the better part of the last 16 years. Was, honestly, think about it this way. Because we've, for the last decade or so, we've made fun of the Raiders. Okay? we made fun of the Raiders last decade. And rightfully so. They've been, they've been in nothing but a disaster since the 2002 season when we went to the Super Bowl and lost to Tampa. And literally since then, they fell off the face of the earth. So it's understandable. It's understandable why, why you have that feeling towards the, towards the Oakland Raiders. Guess what? I think Washington's surpassed the Raiders as the most inept NFL franchise now. And yes, that includes you, Cleveland. But I'll give y'all a pass because Cleveland's is Cleveland. No offense, Cleveland, but whatever. And the way things are there in Washington with the front office and the way they, you know, the Jay Gruden thing. And, 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 and of course, Daniel Snyder being, to me, one of those owners that really, you just don't know what he's doing. I, I truly believe this. I really believe RG3 needs a change of scenery. Seriously, it's time. He is set to fill in Washington. You know, and it's not going to work with Jay Gruden and him. Something's got to give at that point. Something's got to give between those two guys. Because Jay Gruden, it's clear as day that Jay Gruden does not want to work with Robert Griffin III. And it's clear that Robert Griffin III is in the back pocket of the owner, Daniel Snyder. So right there, there's your conflict right there of interest. This won't work. RG3 is too talented to me, in my opinion, to, to just give up on. And I, I don't think he's finished yet. I, I think he's still, he, he can still be. I'm not, look, I'm not asking for. I'm not saying RG3 is going to be what he was his rookie year. I mean, what he did that, that, that first year, you know, 2012, was absolutely out, out of this world. And it'd be foolish for us to, to sit there and just assume that that's what we're going to get going forward. Or that, is that, that should be the standard moving forward, even though he set the standard for himself during that season. But let's, let's keep it real here. The Washington Redskins are the dumbest team in football right now. They're stupid. 
They're, they're, they're stupid. And, and, and to be honestly, and, and as, a, as a fellow NFC East fan, you know, me, of course, being New York Giants, and knowing and seeing the Redskins through the years. You know? Remember, this is the franchise that's won three Super Bowls and gone to many others. This is one of the better franchises in NFL history. And yet, kids who are under 25 years old, who probably got into football in the last 10 to 15 years, unless you're reading your history books, you ain't going to know that. You're not going to know that. You know? Why the hell they kept sitting him out there in the first place? Eight attempts, six hits. Why the hell is he in the game? That's why I can't stand preaching football. I'm, I'm tired of, of beating that hammer down. I'm tired of it. I just think he has more to give. I think RG3 has a little more to give than what he's getting the last couple of years with Jay Gruden, and of course, last year, Shanahan, and all that stuff. But he's set to fail in Washington. He's got to go. This is Kyle Nash, the student of the game, and you're listening to Earnestly Speaking Radio. On the line with me, he is a great writer. He, he actually covers uh, uh, TV and film and more at KSDK in uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. Also, the uh, editor-in-chief at DosaBuffa.com. My man, second time on the show, actually on the podcast this time, though. My man, Dan Buffa, follow on Twitter at Buffa82, St. Louis Cardinals Homer. The second one I know now. <laughs> What's up, Dan? <laughs> What's going on? How you doing? Uh, it's a little, little Monday morning uh, dish time. Yeah, buddy, we got to recap some stuff here, man, because I mean, the summer's ending now, and all these uh, these great summer shows are coming to an end, and, uh, you know, obviously that means football's on the corner and whatnot, you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, not not a bad thing. By the way, quick quick question, uh, you know, you say your favorite football team is? Your favorite football team? Oh, yeah. Do you watch NFL football? Oh, yeah. I mean, are, you, are you a Rams I'm, fan? I'm unfortunately a Rams fan, which means it could be, uh, could be a shift, but I'm also a big Peyton Manning fan, so whenever the Rams... <laughs> fail like I can always just follow Peyton until he you know fails. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy the NFL. It's 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 a lot easier than baseball, but it's once a week. It's a lot easier on the nerves. You can kind of gear up for six days, and then you know it's not it's not a daily grind. So so football is kind of a welcome transition, especially if you're a, a fancy player, of course, because like, you know. I mean, if you play fancy sports, you know football. You worry about that once a week. You set the lineup, and that's good. That's it, yeah, it's, it's over. You know, you, you can put a bunch of thought into it. You, you, you don't have to keep going day by day with your pitchers and, and your, you know, your backup, your bench. You know, you, you just load it up for one big game, and that's it. Right. But we ain't here talking about football right now. We got a lot of time before football starts. We got, we'll talk about that down the road. Oh, we'll yeah. talk about ballers, our, our, our guilty pleasure right now here. Just ended last night, uh, season finale, HBO Ballers, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, what was great A to F? Great to finale last night. Did you like the finale? I did. I mean, I think I give it a B plus. I think I think it did what it wanted to do, and I think it, 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 since it's coming back for season two, I think we'll kind of anxiously await season one. It isn't like a, I, I, I can see where some people were saying that it ended a little bit too optimistic. You know, kind of it kind of left some conflict in the end between some of its characters, but maybe 
they kind of wanted to end it that way and explore different things in season two. The biggest thing where I kind of thought was kind of funny was the, you know, the Ricky Jared, like, reawakening. And, and I guess that that's, they're doing it. Maybe he's going to have a downfall in season two. But overall, this is a, it's a guilty pleasure show. It's not meant to be heavy in any way. I mean, if HBO wants to go heavy, they go through executive or leftovers. The other side of the spectrum is basically, yeah, it's basically ballers. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a summer lager. You know, you get to drink it, you enjoy it, but it's not, it's not supposed to knock you on, on its butt. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be enjoyable. That's why I like the show too. It doesn't pretend to be something it's not. You know, it's a it's a great quick fix, half an hour show gets you happy for for thirty minutes and then let it go. You know, you know a lot. I I know the complaint now with people is that the show's not long enough. It's only thirty minutes. But here's the thing though, I still believe if that show was more than thirty minutes though, I don't think you appreciate it as much. No, I, I think it, it would probably wear out its welcome. I mean, it would probably wear out its story really fast. If it was 10, exactly. instead of 10, 30 minutes, you know, it would be 10 full hours. And that would, I, I think that would just wear it out. I think, I think the way, I mean, hey, if people want to compare it to Entourage, that's fine. Entourage early on was a great show. For three seasons, Entourage was, was a very enjoyable show and it also knew what it was. It gave you a peek behind the business and that's kind of what Ballers does. It kind of gives you a little peek behind you know, the NFL behind the scenes. I mean, it's got a, one of its staff writers is, is Rasheed Mendenhall. So he, you know, he, he's dishing with these writers on making things as, as authentic as they are and how, you know, guys kind of go through that grind and with, you know, the, the way that they, they can blow their own careers up with their behavior. And I think it's all anchored by The Rock, though. And I think the fact that The Rock is, right. is an ex-football player in college. He's got the, the, the look. He's got the charisma. This thing runs 100% on The Rock fuel. Absolutely. Um, what I found fascinating, too, is that the show, you know, typically we watch HBO shows, Game of Thrones, whatever it may be, True Detective. Um, a lot of those shows, well, mainly shows that have, like, storylines, have, you know, they end their season with major cliffhangers. You know, this show didn't have that. This show ended on a very positive note. You know, uh, it, it was very positive. There was, no, there, was, there was really no conflict, really, to speak of, going into next year anyway. No, I mean, I, I, I find it's going to pick up with the same characters, you know, and as anybody who follows the NFL knows that, you know, if one character has a happy ending one week, the next week it could be a horrible thing. I mean, we all know these characters have demons. I mean, with The Rock's character having the, the post-traumatic stress and not being able to shake off his playing career and Ricky Jared's wildness, and you have, you know, uh, you, you have a lot of guys that are, that are faulty, and it always makes for, it gives the writers plenty of juice. I, I just hope they, they come back in season two and, you know, they, they keep the edge. I mean, you know, it, it's a fair mix of, Showing people the NFL business and also kind of showing them the you know the do's and don'ts and you know it's it it's like I say it, it's a light pleasure but if it gets a little bit more edgier I, I wouldn't mind it in the second season. Right, right. Um, now the show started pretty slow. Like I, a lot of complaints early on the first couple episodes that the show the show started pretty slow. It didn't move fast enough. Um, obviously, you stayed with it though. What kept the show interesting for you? I, I think it's really just the, the Rock's character. I, I think it's, it's the fact that we all know he has this this exterior of, of bravado that that he thinks he's okay, but then you know there's more beneath the surface. The other characters are, are entertaining, and they have their own little ways of being um, interesting. But I think it's it's just the Rock. I think it's just the way he plays the character. He doesn't play. I think what really for me was the the chemistry between him and Rob Cordovoy, who played uh yeah, well, what is his name? His partner in um, Joe, Joe, Joe. Joe, yeah. Joe. I think Spencer and he's, Joe. He's insane. Think, Best, 
He is insane, and you know, it fits the actor. He's, he's a wildly funny uh, comedic actor, but I think it's also their interplay. It kind of reminded me of a, you know, in a way, you know, go right back to Andre, it kind of reminded me of, of, e, of Eric and Vince, you know, on the show. Kind of yeah, like, you know, they, 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 they know each other's strengths and know each other's weaknesses. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the big guy and a, and a, and a funny guy that they make a good team, but really, it's The Rock. I mean, I, throughout the whole show, you know, if, if he doesn't keep you interested, then, then you're just not a fan of his, you're not a fan of football. Because if you're a fan of football and The Rock and, you know, just a very fun, easygoing show, that, I mean, it's just, it, right. it, it comes, it goes down really easy. People that they probably didn't like it probably just came off a true detective very depressed. <laughs> That's so true. That is so true, man. Um, what was your favorite storyline of the season so far? What was that again? The favorite storyline so far this season. Uh, favorite storyline story uh, on, on, on Ballers? Yeah. Uh, you know, I would have to say, uh, you know, I mean, as much as I, as I like The Rock's character, you know, I really wanted to see him. I really, it was him and Vernon and Troy Garrity's agent, I really wanted to see him sign that contract. Because if he didn't sign that contract in the season, I would have been pretty mad. Because that was the one thing right. that, that really touches down is that these football players, they, they they bring people into their lives and they fault their judgment, you know, and the guy who played Reggie, you know, comes into Vernon's way and kind of messes up his head. It, it's, I mean, it's a very realistic thing, but it, it being a television show, you, you didn't want it to be one of the cliffhangers. You wanted to see him sign that contract. Because we all know that that was the cornerstone of Spencer and Spencer and Joe's business, and you know, I mean, I guess one part of me could say I, I like that Spencer and Joe kind of came together in the end because I, I think that season two they're kind of going head to head. I just don't think it'd be that funny. It would lose a lot of its uh, edge and enjoyability. Right. But they're great. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of elements that I liked. I mean, I think the burning the contract with the Cowboys, uh, the fact that Joe and Spencer stayed together and kind of kept working together. It was it was really good. It also kind of it, it leaves a lot of things open for season two. We all know Joe's crazy, and we all know that he's kind of volatile, and, and Spencer's gonna have to keep him in order. And, and that's all the fun. I think a lot of things about season one is they're setting up characters, they're introducing us to these guys. Season two is where you, you can see him go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, and and I think that's why they left it the way it was in season one. Let very happy when not because I think they want to shock people in season two writing wise. Um, do you think yeah. this show, do you, what, yeah, do you think this show puts the rock, I mean, he's, he's already huge, obviously, he was, you know, obviously, uh, all-time great wrestler, of course, you know, he's been doing Hollywood movies for about over a decade now, but does this show legitimize the rock, Dwayne Johnson, into the stratosphere, really, to be honest with you, with, you know, with the A++, uh, uh, celebrities and whatnot? I, I think it does, I mean, we, we all know that we're never gonna see rock on a, on the Oscars stage getting, you know, Getting, getting a statue, and, and I think he's fine with that. I think people are fine with that. I think he's a different kind of a different kind of a pleasure, and I, I think it does. I think it opens him up to a whole new league of uh, possibilities. I mean, we all know that he can carry a comedy, he can carry a, a children's film, he can carry an action film, but the fact that he's carrying an HBO series with the most pre- prestigious network on television that says a lot. I mean, you know, Jillian Farino. I mean, if people ever want to really connect the entourage connection, you know, you got Mark Wahlberg. And Stephen Levinson, the, who produced Wahlberg, uh, who, who produced Entourage, are, are producers in the show. And Julian Farino, the director, he did a lot of Entourage. So there's your instant connection there. You know, I, I think these guys saw something in the rock. They saw 
a way to combine, you know, the, the NFL experience and the show ends right as the preseason is going on so that, that they got you all hopped up for football. And I think mm-hmm. it's designed that way. I, I think it, it was perfectly placed as, as far as starting in June and July and kind of going into August, right where football is kind of starting to heat up. It's kind of like your football NFL season appetizer. And I think they, they planned it really well. But, but they put all, all, you know, the chips on, on the rock. And, and, and I think this does open up to some more possibilities. I think people will gain a little more respect for him that he can do, you know, the leading man, charisma, comedy, you know, commanding performance. I think this just kind of raises his level a little more, even though I think people already knew how great he was. But the fact that he's leading an HBO network show pretty much by himself, you know, it's a supporting cast of strong characters, but it's pretty much his show. Are there any HBO shows this fall you're looking forward to watching? You know, I, I'm, I'm a leftovers guy, man. It's crazy. It, it, it's bizarre. But season one kind of got my attention. And I like that they're kind of, in season two, they're leaving to it. And they're going to a different town. And there's just, you know, it's it, as much as, as season one kind of left you wanting more as far as wanting to know what happened to the characters. But, I mean, I think it created enough interesting characters to keep you going for at least in our season. So, you know, Leftovers, and also a show, I'm not sure, sure when it's going to come on, but I cannot wait for Vinyl, Bobby Cannavelli, the new Scorsese, Nick Jagger show about a record producer. It looks like the 60s or 70s. Bobby Cannavelli, yeah. who everybody got a tease of on Bullock Umpire playing Jet Rossetti and... and uh, Terrence Winter's uh, Bulldog Empire, where he played by one of the most memorable bad guys in that show. That was like the taste that I think that Martin Scorsese got that he had to develop a show around this guy. And I think if there's one guy, kind of like, you know, there's, there's a lot of TV guys or movie guys that kind of float from role to role. Like James Gandolfini did before he got Tony Soprano. Jerry Piven did before he got Ari Gold. John Hamm did before he got Don Draper. I think this is going to be what you get with Bobby Cannavale, a guy who we all know from the movies and from TV shows, who really deserves that kind of project to really put all of his talents together. Because he's a very engaging actor who can do drama and comedy and almost anything. And playing this kind of like drug addict, kind of crazy record producer right. in, in the height of the rock and roll with the Beatles and the Stones. I, I love that Nick Jagger mm-hmm. got his hands over it. And, and, you know, I mean, Lauren Scorsese's used the Rolling Stones music for, you know, for decades. So the fact that he's coming together with Mick Jagger to do a television show on HBO is pretty much like a match made in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw the preview of that uh, last week, uh, two weeks ago, rather, on HBO. I was really impressed. I was like, whoa, this is, this is great. Yeah. Because, so, really, the there's, fact one show, really... there's one show I can't wait to right. see. I mean, uh, The Leftovers is going to be it's gonna be good, man, but the, the vinyl is what I cannot wait for, right? I always yeah. think it's going to come out sometime in like maybe spring 2016. You think that? May, may, yeah, probably, it'll probably follow Game of Thrones most likely. Probably, and that'll be a perfect. Yeah. Uh, that'll be a perfect thing to kind of exit Game of Thrones on. It's kind of a cool little kind of a old school music show. Yeah, and me being a former musician. Yeah, I mean that show is definitely down my down my alley, you know. And, and I, I mean, so that, when I saw that when I saw that preview, I love I like I love mockumentaries on on, on like old school bands in that era, sixties, seventies yeah. rock and roll. Like that, that to me, that's that that is so fascinating to me. So I'm I'm looking forward to watching vinyl um next year, 2016. And you said it's spring. You said most likely. So I'm looking out for that. Obviously, um, I want to ask you a quick personal question, um, because. This is this been this debate going on with me and my, and my family, and then some of my friends. You know, uh, a lot of folks, 
over the course of the last 20 years have, you know, waxed poetic about how great Seinfeld is. is the You know, some people say it's the greatest sitcom ever created. Some say it's overrated and whatnot. I know my own wife thinks she says it's, it, it's, it's boring. And I, 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 I have never watched it before. I never watched it till recently. And I, I asked her, you know, do you think I like this? She said, no, you, you, you will not like this show. I know what you like, and this is the kind of stuff you're not into. And I, I wanted to watch the episode just to see, just, just to see if, if, if it grabbed me. And I watched Seinfeld for the first time a couple weeks ago, and I got, I got I to tell you, I don't like it. I, I, I think it's not, to me, I'm a storyline-based guy, and I saw the episode, I'm like, this is not for me. This is not for me at all. What do you think about Seinfeld? You know, I, I you know, my best friend, I, I had a couple friends that really, really liked it. You know, and, and we discussed it, you know, and I've watched episodes. I mean, you watch TBS and, you know, you'll see reruns, no matter whether you like it or not. It's pretty much that in Sex and the City every day all, all week. And you know, it's not a bad show. I mean, I watch it. I mean, I get what Jerry Seinfeld and, 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 you know, and Larry David and those guys are trying to do. It, it's just a certain kind of sitcom humor that I'm not, I've never been a fan of. You know, I was never, everybody loves Raymond Guy. And I don't hate the show, but I haven't watched enough of it. But, you know, I've watched episodes, and, and, I, and I, you know, you, you have a little chuckle here and there, but I, and I get their humor. It's just not my kind of humor. It's very sitcom-ish. It's, it's not guarded. It's just kind of a different kind of comedy that I just don't find funny. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty much the, the, the network version of Sopranos. I mean, it, it, its finale was kind of taken apart. They actually got, the finale's been, like, slammed. I mean, I, I know people who watched I mean, it, I mean, in St. Louis, I mean, they put that thing up on, like, movie theater screens, and people were kind of disappointed by it. It just tells you how passionate they are about it. But, no, I, I've never gotten into Seinfeld. And I've tried multiple times. I mean, I've given this shot here and there. It just never really grabbed me. Right. I, I, I tried. I, I mean, I really did. I gave it an effort. I was like, nah, this is not mine. It's not for me. I'm not going to bother. <laughs> um, and, 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 yeah, I got criticized for loving Friends. Like, I love Friends. But to me, the reason why I love, I love those kind of, like, really, like, you know, hunky gory sitcoms because they have storylines in place. And I, I'm a guy that if you if you're gonna interest me into something to watch, it, you better have a storyline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know? yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it just kind of interests you. I mean, it comes down to you know if, if you like the kind of humor, if you like the actors. I mean, there's a lot of shows that I watch that aren't really you know perfect, but if there's some element about that I really really like, I'll watch it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Right. Last question. Let's go, man. Um, Falls come like I said. Falls coming up. You know, obviously football. Fall, football is, is obviously the the big thing in the fall. But TV shows, whether it be new or TV shows that are renewed for another season, are, are back uh, this fall. This give me three show, th- three favorite shows right now this fall. You look forward to watching. Just give me three. Uh, you know, uh, as far as returning shows, I mean, I'm kind of a fan of The Good Wife. I like The Good Wife. Uh, my wife oh, and okay. I. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's actually, it does the courtroom drama pretty good. Uh, it, it's got a good story. It's got a really good cast. And, it, oh, and it's, not, it's always willing to shock you. Um, as far as a network show, I, I mentioned The Leftovers, but I'm also a Homeland fan. I think season three kind of okay. recovered what season two kind of left in, in, uh, in uh, pieces across the ground. Uh, season three kind of brought a good storyline together. Uh, you know, Showtime's also got The Affair. That was a good little show with Dominic West and... uh. I think Ruth Wilson. That's on Showtime, uh, right? That's on, yeah, that's Showtime. on Showtime, right? That's, you know, that's kind of a good right. back-to-back thing with Homeland and, uh, and uh, the fair. I'm, I'm on Ray Donovan right now. I'm a big Ray Donovan fan. It's, it's a very good show. You start that one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's on its third season. You know, me and Leah Shriver, Eddie Marsden, Dash Me Hoke. It's basically about this 
this Boston guy moves to LA, becomes a fixer, gets involved with a lot of bad people, and it's got you know it's one of those things that's very familiar, but it's potent and it's very well done. Uh, we all know January brings Banshee, so we're all I'm, I'm waiting for that. The final season. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of shows I. I kind of watch, but this is, those are a few I'm really kind of looking forward to that I'll really devotedly watch and, you know, be, be, be waiting on. Now, I shouldn't say this, because, like, you know, there's a couple of shows here I'm going to mention here that I haven't finished watching the first season. Like, Gotham, I, I, I like the show. I haven't finished it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that show. How Get Away to Murder, I haven't finished that show yet, the first season, but I'm looking forward to watching that show. Grey's Anatomy, I, look, don't judge me, but I, I'm actually a big Grey's Anatomy fan. You oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that, and... The, I'm a big 12 years in. I'm, I'm loving it. I don't give a crap. I, you, you can judge all you want. I love that show. Sorry. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I, 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 watched, I watched the first 10 like a real hard fan, and, my, and I watched the last two here and there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a big Grey's Anatomy fan. I, I, I got wore off a little bit in the last couple seasons, but I'll still watch the occasional episode, and then it's got a good storyline. This is my wife still watches it uh, uh, every week. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to see where they go without Patrick Dempsey now. Now that now that uh you know yeah. uh, he's he's gone off the show. I'm really sure I'm really curious to see where Meredith goes. You know, going forward with with that storyline. Now that he's off the off the uh, off the cast. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it'd be very interesting to see where that goes and see how see if it gets kind of lighter, if it gets darker. Yeah, I think it's going to get a lot darker. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you can follow my man Dan Buffa on Twitter at Buffa82. Once again, he's a writer at KSDK in St. Louis, Missouri. Also, the uh, the founder of DosaBuffa.com. Check it out. He has some great, great like stories and great uh, insight on many things. That does not just movies and TV, but also uh, uh, it could be politics, could be uh, it could be baseball, anything it may be. But uh, check out his site. Great, great follow. Great person to talk to. We will def- do this again soon, definitely, brother. All right, man. Yeah, good times always. Uh, look. Gentlemen, we are now three weeks away from the start of the 2015 National Football League regular season. Yes, as we, as we learned on the, on the, on the previous podcast, I, I don't acknowledge preseason. Don't throw at me this whole, wait, football's back now. Dude, I tried to sit last night and watch the, that Bengals-Bucks game, and I, I watched maybe like a minute of it. Want to check out Jameis Winston, you know, Florida State guy. I want to see how he looks. He looked decent, but I'm not going to take that, take what he saw there and, and, and intertwine that into the regular season because there's two different worlds, man. There's two different worlds. I'm not going into that. And, and fr- quite frankly, I, I already wasted four or three seconds of this podcast where they talk about preseason football, and it does not need to be talked about on this podcast because I'm done talking about preseason football, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to be a whiner, and there's 55 seconds now of preseason football, but I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because it's not fair to you guys. It's not fair to people. And quite frankly, I don't think you guys want to hear it. I don't think you really care about my stance. Because I've already bragged enough about that for, as it is. And now I've got a minute and 10 seconds into the show now. So, But what I find fascinating about, you know, if we're going to talk about not necessarily preseason football, but more so the storylines entering the season. Because I, I, I'll tell you what, that's, that, that's the one thing I think I look forward to more than anything else when we, when we approach the season is the storylines. 
one reason why I've always hated Thursday night football is because the fact that it's too much football. Um, it takes away from the what I consider the very essence of why football is great. It's not just the Sundays for me. It's not just the Sundays that are you know oh you know you know we do the Sundays the barbecues you go to the bars whatever you do on Sundays to watch the games. What I find fascinating, what, what I find more most fun about football and why football is still great and why football to me has not that it's not great anymore, but it's lessened uh, in terms in terms of the you know the great I don't say not the greatness, but the, it's lessened for me. To me, my personal love of NFL football is, is peaked already. I still love it, but it's it's, it's not gonna get better than it is now. Um, is the conversations and the you know the water cooler talk in between Sundays? To me. Reviewing, t- taking the first half of the week uh, and reviewing what happened the week before, and then taking the second half of the week and, re- and previewing what's to come. And I feel like Thursdays take away from that. I mean, I, obviously Thursday night football for me, I, I already have my opinions on Thursday night football why I don't like it, so I'm not going to get to it now. Maybe another podcast, I'll do that down the road. But uh, you know, you add too much to the product, you don't appreciate it as much, you know. So, but one of the things that I think that has not been talked about enough you know entering this season and i think you know hell i'll do it for you now we know obviously the the teams to beat in the league entering the year what the fav- who, who the favorites are and who the contenders and the pretenders are in the nfl going to the season we, we know i mean and, and there's always a couple of surprises obviously there too and teams that we need, need to look out for but one storyline i think has not been talked about enough and or at all for that matter is the AFC is wide open. I mean, think about it. The AFC, to me, is wide open. It, I mean, we entered this year, and to be totally honest with you, if I had to tell you, compared to the last year, the best team to AFC last year, of course, the Patriots, who won the Super Bowl, told them four. Broncos, told them four, who melted in the second round of the playoffs. The Colts, who went, who also won, uh, I believe, 11-5 last year. The, the AFC didn't get better. The, the the top the top teams anyway in the AFC the Patriots the Broncos the Colts I mean yeah but look we're gonna still say the Broncos because you know look they, they, at, at the very least with Peyton Manning you're gonna get ten plus wins you're guaranteed ten plus wins so the Broncos still in the mix their issues getting past the hump you know getting past the uh, the uh, postseason hump <clears throat> but if you look at the Patriots look at the at the okay look at the two teams as mentioned the Patriots and the, and the Broncos for example. Those teams didn't get better. Those teams didn't separate themselves from the pack. You know, you can argue that the middle of the AFC got much better. Even the the, the even the the seller, well, except the Jaguars. The Jaguars and the Titans don't, don't count in this mix. But you know, teams like Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Miami, Kansas City, San Diego, you can argue they got a little better, or at the very least, still the same. But the bottom line is this: is that Denver. New England and even Indy to, to well, Indy got better a little bit to a point, but I don't I don't trust that just yet. Let's start the champs. The champs right there. The, the champs are the easiest part to start with. The, the, the Patriots. You obviously get a Tom Brady specter you know hang over our heads. We don't know how many games he's gonna miss first off. Um right now it's four. We're still waiting for the decision from the judge about whether he you'll you they'll get chopped down to two, one, maybe none, which I think should be none, but that's another top another day. We are the we are the, the deflate gate free podcast, so we're not discussing that that crap on the show. Cause I'm I'm just burnt out on hearing about it. Okay, the Patriots got worse. 
and and you could be on and I could be honest here too. I think they got significantly worse than last year. I know Vince Wolfwork is 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 older, but he was still really good last year for the Patriots. He was still still productive. Um, he, and what he does, it it can't be replaced like this this that easily, you know. So, and, and I know the Pats do this thing all the time where they let guys go, you know, so they have to pay them extra money and this and that, and they have the system they work they, they, and they trust it. And, and look, the Patriots probably, probably can still be the favorite to win the AFC because of who they are, because they have that uh, you know Bell Bell check. They have Tom Brady, you know, when you know minus suspension of course. So they they probably are the team in the AFC that you could probably still, despite the fact they got worse. They probably are the team that you could you probably also trust the most because of the fact of the t- the, the the tried and true of that marriage between Belichick and Brady. So that alone should be trusted. That alone, Belichick Brady combo, which probably is probably the greatest coach to quarterback, uh, you know, you know, combination in NFL history. I mean, you can talk about Billy, you know, Bill Walsh and Joe Montana, and you know, all that. But the fact of the matter is, this, this duo has been together fifteen something years, and yet this they've won four teams, won Super Bowls, however it may be, whoever you know, whether, whether they cheated or not, you know, and they've won multiple AFC East championships and done, done all these great things and stuff. So, you know. That alone should trust the Patriots, but then again, at the same time, they got worse. They got worse. They lost Revis. They lost uh, the two corners, Revis and and, and, uh, and Browner. That's huge. That was a key point in that team that propelled that team to go back to the, win the Super Bowl. Remember, this this team went through an eight year gap, or almost a decade rather, of winning Super Bowls prior to last season. So they lose the things that that helped them get over the hump. So they they got worse. The Broncos. Yeah, they lost Julius Thomas, but you can say they got a little bit worse. I mean, maybe, maybe that team's philosophy, having a new head coach there, maybe it may help Peyton Manning going forward, but maybe it won't. They're still a really, really good team. They're going to win 10 plus games this year, but this doesn't mean they're going to, you know, they're going to, you know, slide on by to the AFC Championship game. That doesn't mean anything. So they didn't separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Okay? The Colts, yeah, they added Andre Johnson, Frank Gore. You know, they still got Andrew Locke. You know, he's, he's great, obviously. You know, He's going to be great. He's going to be a Hall of Famer down the road. But there's a, there's a trust factor that the Colts I don't like. I just don't trust the offensive line. I don't trust their defense. Andrew Luck, as great as he is, he makes too many mistakes. Uh, I don't tr- trust them completely. They got better, but there, once again, no separation. So you, so then you ask yourself, well, EJ, well, what teams, if they didn't separate themselves, like if obviously these three teams I mentioned here did not separate themselves, which teams got better? Well, I'll tell you what. My dark horse this year in the AFC is the Miami Dolphins. To me, the Miami Dolphins right now have arguably the, the most balanced roster in that division. They do. Ryan Tannehill is pretty good, and, and, he's, and he's trending. That defense last year already was a top 5 or 10 defense in the league, and then you add a Duncan Sue, who's going to make guys around him better. The Dolphins are my dark horse in the AFC. You got the Ravens are still pretty good. The Steelers are going to be really good still. Although their defense is still questionable, but they got Big Ben who's still a top five since quarterback in the league. You know? San Diego's always hanging around. Cincinnati's talented. I mean, I don't trust the Red Rifle, you know, and, and Andy Dalton and, and, you know, the Ginger, whatever you call him. But he's, he's still, I mean, they're still a good team. You know, there's a lot. The Buffalo Bills could be decent. Except that they have quarterback issues. My point is, in, my, my, my point is podcast is this simple. It's, it's this simple. Okay, I'm not saying the Patriots and don't and look, look, Patriots fans don't get your panties in a bunch because you guys you get offended you guys get offended by every little thing. Can you guys just enjoy your damn Super Bowl this year? 
You get you guys get so offended by everything. If you say one thing wrong, my bell check of Brady, you guys get your panties in a bunch. You bunch of seriously, stop. Enjoy the Super Bowl. You won four you won four titles in the last 15 years. Okay? You 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 I mean, what's with these young Patriot fans who, you know, oh well, well you're offending the dynasty. You don't know nothing but winning. So you, you haven't gone through you haven't gone through the nineties with Dick McPherson and those guys before Drew Bledsoe when we got there. Stop it. I wanna hear I don't hear your crap. Say like a man. Okay? All I'm saying is your team didn't get better. Look, if, if you ask me right now who I think is the favorite in the AFC, I might still put the Patriots in there just because of the Belichick Brady factor. But you have to acknowledge that neither the Patriots or the Broncos or the Colts did not make any separation in that conference at all. And so not acknowledge that means that you're just a plea homer. Seriously, you're just a complete homer. So... In retrospect, the Dolphins, the Bills, the Chargers, the Ravens, the Steelers, they made gains. And you know the playoffs, it's a it's it's, it's all nothing situation. You lose one game, you're done. It doesn't take a series like in baseball and basketball and hockey. We lose one, you can go 16-0. You lose one game, you're out of the playoffs. So please don't, don't spare me the crying right now, everybody, that Bronco fans and Patriots fans and Colts fans, I don't respect you. Okay, you guys did not get better. Right, on the line with me, he is one, he's a podcaster and writer at SB Nation's Amazing Avenue, covering my favorite baseball team in the whole world, the New York Mets. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Paternostro. Great follow, guys. Check him out on Twitter. Jeff Paternostro, how you doing, brother? Doing pretty good. Just got to survive that. Uh, down with forward the Phillies, which always will uh, get you excited. It, it, it's so much fun for me, because like, not only did like, the four-game sweep is great because the Mets are winning, but it's who they beat this week too. I'm not. I mean, I can't stand Philadelphia sports anyway. You can only beat who is put the, in front of you. Oh, uh, that's that, that's the safe route, Jeffrey. Come on, that's a safe route. <laughs> well, hey, you know, somebody's got to win the worst division in baseball. There's always one. Yeah. Did Did you survive that marathon last night? Thirteen innings. I mean, what a game last night. Down five zero. Come back, and then that whole of you know great plays by Murphy and and everything else going on. I mean, this has been a great season. It really has. And last night, I think, sort of encapsulates the changing of the Mets fan psyche recently. Because that had happened right. even two months ago. Click, game goes off, Netflix goes on, all across the uh, tri-state area, whatever, you take the dog for a walk. But you never, and not just because it's the Phillies, and yes, the Phillies pitching is terrible, but this team now, it's, you know, they're the comeback kids. The game's never out of reach. And it was, what, 10 batters? 5-5. Five, five. They can do that now, which I think is the biggest difference. And you can talk about it being the Phillies and being the Rockies, but you got to beat the bad teams, and they've done that. Now, I know this year the Mets were going to be improved anyway. I, I always assumed that they were going to always continue improving with that nice pitching staff, whatever. And I like Terry Collins, obviously, and, I, and I've, I've been on the rebuild bandwagon for five years. I've been patient with it. I'm, I remain patient with it. Um, but I'm going to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how shocked are you how this season has transpired as we now enter the final stretch of the pennant race? Well, it's really a tale of two seasons. You look at them going into the All-Star break. They were, I 
can't remember now. I think they were a game and a half back of the wild card and two back of the Nationals. Three or four games over 500. That's about what I think you would have expected coming into the season, given, you know, not even knowing that David Wright was going to miss all the first half, essentially. The Travis Darno was going to miss large chunks of time. You know, on April 1st, you had said the Mets will be a couple games back of a playoff spot, of the wild card in the division, a few games over 500 going into the all-star break. They're like, okay, that's, I'll take that, but that also, that sounds believable. Um, what's happened since then is a little bit different, obviously. The, they had a good trade deadline, and it's not just, you know, Yoensis Pettis changes the shape of that lineup front to back. Um, he stretches the lineup. He, you know, bat him second, bat him third. He is a difference maker and has been a difference maker. You know, I, I like the Juan Uribe and Kelly Johnson trade. They haven't hit a ton. Uh, they've played off the bench a lot. You know, Uribe has had some big home runs, plays good defense at third. He's the guy that's going to give David a right day here, here and there when he needs it down the stretch. But it's not really them. It's, it's Wilmer Flores. It's Lucas Duda. It's Juan Lagares. Daniel Murphy. These are the guys that if you go look back, you know, take your month of August stats. They're all tearing the cover off the ball. So is it just everybody got hot at the same time? Yes, but sometimes that happens and you'll take it. Right. We're here with Jeff Paternostro of Amazing Avenue, SB Nations, covering New York Mets right here on Earth Speaker Podcast. Um, like you just said, um, the, the hitting's been incredible. They just c- completed a four-game sweep at the Phillies, like, who well, I can't stand, but it's good. Um, and as, as right now, we're almost, I mean, not in August yet, and they've hit 40-plus home runs in this month, when a month ago they didn't say they could hit the broad side of a barn. What's been a sudden change, though? Has it been a lineup change? And, and don't forget, too, this is also without Lucas Duda for half the month, and, and Dave Wright just got back uh, this past Monday. What, what's been a sudden change with this? What, what happened? I mean, I don't know. I honestly don't. It's one of those things where sometimes you just have a month. There's an old, uh, back in the old sort of like rec sports baseball news group days, back when the internet was in its youth, there was uh, Boris's Law, Boris McCracken is a very famous uh, sabermetrically inclined baseball analyst. But he opened the idea that basically if you're a major league quality player, so anything from Daniel Murphy to Miguel Cabrera, you can do basically anything in 80 at-bats, 100 at-bats over the course of a month or so. Anybody can have a hot month. Anybody can have a terrible month. I mean, think back to Curtis Granderson's April last year when he was basically left for dead. You can hit for 100 for a month. You can hit 400 for a month. Sometimes a bunch of guys just all get hot at the same time. And I think the parks they played in have helped, certainly. The shape of the lineup is different now. I mean, Travis Darno's in batting eighth. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but he's been hitting eighth. You know, Michael Conforto was hitting seventh. I think we've maybe forgotten Conforto, too, as well. He's a guy I love, this prospect. I didn't think he would come up and be this good this quickly. I thought he would be good. I thought he'd be an improvement over what they were running out there in left field time. But he's a guy that can hit seventh in this lineup and hit the ball out, take good at bats. Just one through eight now, they have a major league quality hitter at every spot. And they it didn't have that in May and June. I mean, this is a team that DH Danny Mono in the Yankee series in April. It was the guy that had Eric Campbell play 14 innings in left field in the uh, Wilmer Flores walk-off game right before the trade deadline. That, I mean, they, just the upgrade. It's like, we talk about, oh, they got above-average hitters in the lineup now. Not only they have above-average hitters in the lineup. The above-average hitters were replacing well below-average hitters. That's a huge jump that I think maybe just gets understated by they added some good major league hitters. They didn't even have average major league hitters before this. They had a lot of spots right. every day. Very true. 
Right, and as, as I mentioned, Dave Wright a little while ago, he came back this past Monday. Of course, first pitch, <laughs> the first uh, at bat, crushed the home run, 428 feet. Um, what's the status of Dave Wright moving forward? I know he played two games this week, missed Wednesday's game. I don't remember if he played last night or not. Um, but what's the status and the game plan you think going forward with Dave Wright, how, how, how Terry Collins is going to use him at least into, in September? It sounds like it's going to be two days on, one day off, maybe three days on, one day off on occasion. And you really got to play it by ear because you just don't know. This is uncharted territory for right, you know, playing with this condition. So it's just something he's going to have to be in tune with his body. He's going to have to ask for a day off if he needs it. Colin's going to be proactive about giving him a day off if he says he doesn't need it. You know, you got to pick your spots. Um, he's looked good at the plate. He's, he, he looks like David Wright. We'll see how that goes going forward. In the field right now, he scares me a little bit because yeah. it's just very awkward the way he moves. You know, stuff that there was a play last night, a uh, little slow roller in, a little short hop in between hop and he was charging. It's a play he makes 99 times out of 100. And he made it, but it just looked very mechanical. He just wasn't comfortable. And I think the thing is, you can work on your swing. You can take dry swings. You can find a swing that is comfortable for you if you have back problems. So he can sort of work his way through that on when he was doing baseball activities and on rehab. You can't really simulate all the plays you'll have to make in the field with your back. You just can't. I mean, you can take infield, but there's always going to be the speed of the game is going to get to you eventually. There's going to be plays you're going to have to make just sort of on instinct, on muscle memory. And that's where he's looked a little stiff and awkward. And that may come with more game reps. It may never quite get back to where it was before. It's a degenerative back condition. But I think just having him around, again, is another, a guy that looks like another quality major league hitter in the lineup. And he doesn't have to be the savior. He's not coming into this lineup to save a team. He just has to slot in at fourth you know, and be David Wright because they have quality hitters around him. And they have Juan Uribe. They have Daniel Murphy. They have guys that can give him a day. Right, and like I said, I, if, if you had told me in the end of, end of August that the Mets will be six and a half up on the Nationals, who were hyped to be the best team in this in this league uh, going into the year, I would have called you a liar. And it's been a great year for the Mets. However, I, I do have a concern here. Um, they they have a losing record against teams over five hundred. Um, my question to you is this: Can the Mets? Do you are you confident the Mets can compete with the team, the elite in the NL, like the Cardinals and the Pirates and the, even the Dodgers for that matter? I seem to recall in 2006, the Mets were, what, 13 games better than the Cardinals going into the NLCS? They had 96 wins, and the Cardinals had 83. That stuff just doesn't matter in a short series. And, yeah, they don't have a great record against these teams. They beat up on the Phillies. They beat up on the Marlins. They beat up on the Braves, the Rockies. You know, the Nationals have the same schedule they do, basically. And here we are on at the end of August, and they're six and a half up. That happened. Now, when it comes to, say, a five-game series with the Dodgers and the NLCS, does that worry me because they haven't, they haven't played great against good teams? No, and I'll tell you why. Because in a short series, A, anything can happen. B, you're going to see Harvey in the ground four times. You're going to have Syndergaard and Max probably in the pen backing up Clippard and Familia so you can shorten games. I'm not saying they're going to win or they're going to necessarily even be favorites, but I think in a short series with their horses on the mound, they can compete with anybody. Right. A personal question here too, uh, with the best. And I'm surprised no one's talked about this really much, at least publicly, at least nationally here. But Giannis Cespedes has said publicly that he'd like to stay in New York beyond this season. He was, of course, the big you know pickup we had at the tread deadline. 
Um, any real chance the Mets actually do keep him? Is he is he just a rental, or do you think the Mets have plans to actually keep this guy long term? I try not to think about it. I just try to watch him because it's really fun. And there's always, you know, you get into that, you get into like the Mets' financial situation, which has been a dark cloud over the team the last three or four years, and it may still be a, a thing going forward. As as we know, they didn't take on any additional money in those four uh, players they added at the deadline past the end of the season. And if you really want to be cynical. You can look at the money they saved on the Henry Mejia suspension and the David Wright insurance money basically wipes out any money that they added. That said, um, I would give you honest with Fettis a blank check and let his agent fill, out, fill it out at this point. I really would. He solves a lot of problems for this team. He's going to, you know, he can play center field. It's not amazing, but he can play there. Um, and so if you want to go get Juan Lagares, Tommy John surgery, or just play Juan Lagares against lefties and make him a defensive substitution going forward, you can do that too. Um, the problem is he has that weird contract clause where you have to offer him, you have to sign him within five days of the World Series. You can't sign him until May 15th, which makes it difficult because you can't gauge the markets and he can't gauge the markets. We have to make a decision based on one team's offer. So if the Mets want to resign him, they're going to have to give him a market rate offer. They have to pay him what he would get on the free agent market regardless. And I don't think that they really know that. And then whatever they offer him, the Fedders might assume we can get more because that's just set the baseline. That set the market for him. Um, you know, is that, could they give him a godfather offer that he has to take? If they're going to do it, they have to do it now. They can't wait until after the World Series. Because the argument you make is, well, maybe he gets injured. There's, there's still a little bit, very small risk. We're talking about six weeks of baseball, basically. Six to eight weeks. Where something could happen to him and tank his value. I don't really see that happening at this point. So maybe if you offer him the market rate deal now, you get him to sign, we'll see if that's just talk, if he's just sort of uh, placating the New York media, just like a boilerplate kind of quote, because he's, he's not a big talk to reporters guy anyway, so he may just have given them the old, uh, the old Bull Durham line and, and be done with it. But once it gets to the World Series, or the end of the season for the Mets, whenever that comes, he'll be, then it's a free-for-all, and he's healthy, he's done what he's done, he can't change it negatively or positively, and the Mets have to try to make their best guess. And if you're his agent and you're suspended, why wouldn't you want to go to free agency, given that your biggest, you know, you're basically, there's just not that many big bats out there. You've got Upton, you've got Hayward. Very true. But, I mean, as a bat, I'd probably take suspended over either of them. Mm-hmm. All right, last question to let you go, man. Once again, talk to Jeff Pastanostro yeah. right here on Earth Speaking Podcast. He's a great follow, guys. Check him on Twitter at Jeff Pastanostro. He's a writer as well as podcaster for the Amazing Avenue SB Nation's uh, blog that covers the New York Mets. Um, there's been some concern also as of, in recent weeks about Matt Harvey and whether the Mets are going to rest him or not rest him. What is the game plan for the Mets going forward in, in handling him into September? Well, he in the spot. They gave him the, the skip start last weekend in Colorado, and Logan Brett came in and pitched well, and it worked out. Will they do a second one? Maybe. I think now we're sort of at the at the play-it-by-ear point. If I want to get Syndergaard a game, in the coming weeks, you know, as of September 1st, even Mats will be back up. So at that point, you know, the gap between Harvey and Mats, well, it's still probably significant over one game. You know, you take your chance to with Stephen Mats, and I'll sign on for that if you really think he needs another, another day off. You know, the best thing they can do is win the division by six games and rest everyone the last week. That's really got to be the, the plan here. I think until then, 
until you're really comfortable. And I don't have to tell you as a Mets fan, even if they're stepping up with 17 to play, you're not going to feel really comfortable. No matter how big the lead is, until they're pulling campaign on each other in the locker room, I, you're not going to feel comfortable. <laughs> uh, you got to put your best. You got to put your best players out there every day. And Matt Harvey is your ace. He's you slide dog, man. Day. You slide dog. Bring in 2007 in there. <laughs> you slide dog. Bring in 2007 memories. It's never, it's, look, it's, it, until the exercise that goes, I almost hope they are up exactly seven games or 17 games to play because they have to exercise that demon. That's the only way it's going to happen. It's like the whole thing with the Red Sox had to come back from 3-0 to beat the Yankees to sort of yeah. get the curse off them. I feel like the Mets, the Mets fan, at least, for the Mets fan psyche, they have to do something like that. They have to sort of exercise that demon to go forward. Yeah, we arrived at that point as Mets fans. that we're not, Even if it's like six six games to go with, with six games up, we're not comfortable to actually, it's fact. And it actually is, you know, the, the fact that the Mets are actually NL East champions. <laughs> I, I totally get it, man. I'm in the yeah. same ballpark as you are. Trust all, me. All I know is that that champagne Willie Randolph had on ice is still on ice. <laughs> yes, even when, they, so. even when it's fact, it might take like a 10-second pause. Wait, this actually is true? We actually won the division? Really? <laughs> Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.